0: So the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 tells us the story of a Gentile man by the name of Naaman. Uh, Naaman lived in the country of Aram, which was located to the northeast of Israel. Uh, Naaman also happened to be the commander of Aram's army. And under his leadership, this army had won battle after battle after battle against Israel. Also, it happened that Naaman was afflicted with leprosy. Well, one day when Aram's men were out conducting a a raid in Israelite territory, uh, they took captive a young Israelite woman, uh, and they brought her back to Aram, where she eventually became the servant to Naaman's wife and captive though she was that she was treated well and she had a compassionate heart uh so when she heard that Naaman was afflicted with leprosy she actually suggested that he should go seek out a prophet in Israel who she said could cure him easily so uh, upon hearing that Naaman went to his own king the king of Aram to seek permission to go to Israel and find this prophet uh and receive a healing the king wrote a letter, the king of Aram wrote a letter to the king of Israel, asking that he grant safe passage to Naaman. Uh, and he also sent Naaman off with, with a lot of silver and gold and fine clothing to give to this prophet uh, as a, a gift of thanksgiving uh, for his eventual healing. After somewhat uneventful journey, Naaman entered, uh, ended up at the door of the prophet Elisha. And he walks uh, up to Elisha's door and he knocks. Uh, but Elisha himself did not come down to the door. He actually sent one of his messengers down uh, down to Naaman. Uh, and this messenger told Naaman that all he had to do was go to the Jordan River and dunk himself in seven times. And if you do that, this messenger said, then you'll be totally healed uh, of your leprosy. Now one might imagine that upon hearing this, Naaman would have been excited that all he he had to do was was dip himself in this river and he would get the healing uh, that he so desired, one might imagine. Uh, But if one imagined that, one would be wrong. Because the exact opposite thing happened. And Naaman was infuriated. He started yelling to his men. He said, You know, I was expecting this guy to come out of his house and and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hands over me and I thought there would be lightning and thunder and somewhat of a show. And then after doing that, then my leprosy would be healed. But he just wants me to go just dip in this river over here. And by the way, aren't the rivers in Aram far cleaner and more beautiful and purer than the dirty Jordan River? Can I have just washed myself in them rather than making this long journey over here? And with that, Naaman turned around and he he stormed off and headed back to Aram. Uh, But his men followed behind and eventually they caught up to him and they tried to speak some reason to him. Uh, And they said, Naaman, my father, if this prophet told you some great thing, some complex thing to do, wouldn't you have done that? So how much more should you do this simple thing that he is telling you to do? To his credit, Naaman saw the truth of their words, and he simmered himself down a little bit, uh, and he did just as the prophet had instructed. He went to the Jordan River, he dunked himself in seven times, uh, and just like that, he was healed. The scripture says that, that his skin became like that of a young man. Naaman-ism, a word coined from this Old Testament story, is the human tendency to value things that are complex over things that are simple. Not because the complex thing is better, uh, but just simply because it is complex. Modern-day psychologists call this complexity bias. But, but it is a real, honest-to-God thing. Uh, I think the most famous example, and some of you have probably heard this, uh, but I think it, it was the Colgate toothpaste company. Uh, they ran into this problem where where they were shipping a lot of empty boxes to their customers, uh, so much so that they were they were losing business. So they called in all their their best engineers, their brightest minds in the company. And eight million dollars later, they developed this highly sensitive scale that they put on their conveyor belt. And whenever an empty box passed over it, an alarm would sound, and, and the assembly line or the, the conveyor belt would stop. Someone would go over, knock it off, and restart it. So about three months after they installed this little project, this scale, the CEO wanted to check in and see how things were doing. So he was reading some reports, and he found that, indeed, they were getting no more complaints uh, that they were sending out empty boxes. But he also discovered that in the past two months, uh, the scale and the alarm had not sounded a single time. Uh, so he showed up to, to the manufacturing plant to figure out what was going on for himself, uh, and it turned out that one of the guys on the production line uh, got so tired of the buzzing and the constantly having to restart the assembly line uh, that he set a, a $20 fan right in front of, of the, the, the scale, uh, and so it would knock all the empty boxes off before they even got there, and he would not never have to stop and never have to listen to the buzzer. <laughs> Naamanism, right? It's a tendency to value complex things over and above simple things, not because they are better, uh, but rather just because they are complex. And it needs to be said, it needs to be said that religious-type people like us have always, 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 always struggled with Naamanism, I mean, just think about it this story about Naaman and elisha it, it took place back in eight hundred and fifty BC. And then some nine hundred years later, uh, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they also struggled with naamanism, right? In an effort to get closer to God, they developed this this complex system of rules and regulations. Uh, that they just felt in following would get them closer to God. 613 rules in all. Uh, you don't get much more complex than that. right? And then 2,000 years later, the Christian church struggles mightily with Naamanism. Even this little church, we're far from being a cathedral, but but there's a significant amount of complexity even in these four walls. We have A lot of physical stuff. And we have a lot of stuff that we do. We have stained glass windows. And pews. And hymnals. And and candles. And and, and pianos. And organs. And bulletins. And connection cards. And electric signage. and, And this and that and the other. And then together the things that we do. We have fellowship hour. Coffee hour after church. And we have ladies fellowship nights. And we have beer brewing. And cooking for shelters. We just have all this Complexity, and if we're being totally honest, even at this little church, there's probably some needless complexity going on. So the question that this teacher of the law asked Jesus in today's story uh, is probably one that we also should be asking on a regular basis. This teacher of the law, a Pharisee, he approaches Jesus. Paraphrasing here, but he says, you know, all, all this, all these complex rules and regulations I'm following, they're great. All this complexity, it makes me feel like I'm on the right track. It makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. It makes me feel real religious-like. Super spiritual. But, Jesus, at the end of the day, what is the point of it all? out of all of this religious stuff I'm doing, what is the most important? And Jesus answers him uh, in what are very famous words. This is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church. You've probably heard these words because they're so famous. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as Yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Doesn't get much more simple than that. And not only is it simple, that's a nice little teaching, isn't it? That feels good. Love your neighbor, love yourself, love God. But did you catch the, the, the very last sentence of this, the, this reading? And I will admit to you that in 35 years of Sunday school and church attendance and Bible study, I never noticed it before this week when I was getting ready for this Sunday. So here we are. We're 12 chapters into the, the Gospel of Mark. And this is the first entirely positive interaction that Jesus has had with a Pharisee. Right? Things are going swimmingly well for a change. This guy comes up to Jesus, uh, and he asks him an honest-to-God question. He's not trying to trick him. He's not trying to entrap him. Uh, He has heard Jesus debating in the temple, was impressed with his presence, uh, and just kind of wanted to get his insight into this particular topic. And what's more, the guy seems pretty happy with Jesus' answer. In fact, he repeats it back to Jesus verbatim. He says, well-spoken, good teacher, well-spoken. And then Jesus, for, for his part, he's pretty pleased at, at the teachable spirit uh, of this particular Pharisee. He even compliments him. He says, surely you are not far from the kingdom of God. Everything's going really good in this interaction for once. And then seemingly out of nowhere, this last sentence drops. And it says, after that, after that, no one dared ask him, that is Jesus, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. Now, I don't know about you, but when I find a podcast that I like, I want to listen to more episodes of that podcast. When I find more bands, when I find a band that I like, rather, I want to listen to more songs by that same band, when I find a preacher that I like, I want to hear more sermons by that same preacher. I'm listening to a lot of Alistair Begg nowadays, he's an Irish preacher, he preaches in Ohio. Anyways, but the exact opposite thing is happening here. This guy receives Jesus' teaching, he seems to genuinely like it, genuinely appreciate it, Uh, but rather than wanting to hear more, him and his friends are now too afraid to ask Jesus anything else. So I think the question for us this morning is, what is it about this simple teaching uh, that that scared the Pharisees? And the best that I can figure, for what it's worth, is that this guy heard Jesus' words, love God, love neighbor, love self, When he first heard it, he was like, yeah, three things. I got this. All my life I've been following hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of complex rules and regulations and now Jesus you're telling me there's just three rules that I have to follow, three things I have to do. I got this. Ain't no thing. The Pharisee was thinking to himself. Uh, But then he walked away got to to, to thinking, and he maybe began to realize uh, that where he came to Jesus, trying to get Jesus to to whittle down the rules and regulations that he was following, trying to make it easier for him to follow them, Jesus actually made it much, much harder, if not impossible. Because, Because if love is the goal of all these rules and regulations that the Pharisee was following, that is a much harder thing to accomplish. Because if love is the goal, right, it's not enough just to not commit adultery, but if love is the goal, you need to be an absolutely loving spouse. If love is the goal, good luck married folk with that, being an absolutely loving spouse. If love is the goal, right, it's not just enough to to just not steal, but you need to be radically generous to those around you if love is the goal. If love is the goal, it's not enough just to not lie, uh, but you need to lead an open and self-revealing life if love is the goal. If love is a goal, then all of these rules and regulations that the Pharisee has been meticulously following for years and years and years, if love is a goal, they just became an impossibly high standard to live by. And what I'm thinking is that the Pharisee and his friends, they realized that. And that realization was so terrible, so overwhelming that they decided that it was best just not to ask Jesus any more questions uh, for fear that he would make their lives even harder. The good news for us this morning, uh, the good news for us is that we differ from the Pharisees in one significant respect. And the thing is that the Pharisees believed that it was their job to, to, to follow these rules as a way to get closer to God. Uh, But what the Christian church believes is that in Jesus, God comes closer to us. We don't have to do a thing. And what that means for us is, what that means is that when our love comes up short, when our love fails, God's love fills in that gap. That gap of love between God, between neighbor, uh, even with ourselves. That gap of love, God fills it in. And while we'll never, ever be able to love God or self or neighbor perfectly, if we do our best to scrape away all the the unnecessary complexity and clutter and religious stuff that distracts us, and we we really, truly try and, and we prayerfully practice we will be able to love better than we can right now. And friends, that love, that love is our point, that love is our purpose. Let nothing distract us from it. Amen.